Welcome back to the Simple Farmhouse Life podcast. Today, I'm going to be chatting with Aaron from the Cedar Chest Farm. We are so excited to talk about gardening, seasonal eating, how our cooking and our kitchens all change whenever springtime comes. I don't know about you, but I'm really excited about the changing seasons. The days are already getting longer. We're already starting to experience some warm days here and there. And so just the shift that it's gonna take with seasonal cooking is exciting to me. Also, we really talk about embracing the changes in food as part of the seasonal change. And so being able to expand your excitement for new seasons from just the colors and you know how it feels and looks outside to the tastes and bringing that into your kitchen. So this was a really great conversation. I'm excited for you to listen to it. My name is Lisa, mother of seven and creator of the blog and YouTube channel, Farmhouse on Boone. Join me as I share with you my love for creating a handmade home from scratch cooking and a little mom and entrepreneur life along the way. I'm so excited to have you on. Thanks so much for joining me. I found you on the Homestead Mamas account. I found a lot of great guests from there. So that's a really wonderful community. I love Homestead Mamas. Yeah, I'm happy you found me there. Yeah, I know. I've met so many great women through there. So tell us a little bit about you and your farm and your family and your sourdough uh, workshops that you have. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to be here with you. Um, my name is Erin Worrell. My farm is the Cedar Chest Farm, and I'm in Blacksburg, Virginia, which is like southwest um, in the Appalachian Mountains. And so we've been at our homestead for five years this summer. My husband and I have four kids. Uh, they are almost 10, 7, and two three-year-olds. So, um, oh, I didn't realize you had twins. Uh, they're actually not twins. They're, um, 10 weeks apart. Uh, we are a licensed foster family also. And our son was adopted through foster care. Yeah. So, um, I mean, functionally they're totally twins. They think they're twins. The world around them thinks they're (laughs) twins. My energy level Uh thinks they're twins. So we moved here, um, like I said, five years ago. And honestly, it was just because I wanted a couple of chickens and maybe like a modest garden. And I think most folks in the homesteading world will tell you that once you start, it becomes a rabbit hole spiral into mm-hmm. all-consuming lifestyle. And that's, that's really <laughs> how we got here. Um, and so over the last few years, we've added um, pastured pigs and way more chickens, also meat chickens. Um, we now have dairy goats and a dairy cow. And we did turkeys last year. So we really kind of like raising them all. And my garden has grown to over a quarter of an acre, um, which now I'm actually using for CSA production. So yeah, yeah, that's a little bit about our homestead. And then um, I do teach online sourdough workshops in addition to um, kind of running the farm locally. And that really was born out of a lot of friends wanting me to teach them how to make sourdough (laughs) and me realizing that if I was going to teach them that process, that maybe having a forum for doing that would be good. And then it kind of took off. So so do you start with how to make the starter and then go into like more advanced, like how to make certain recipes after that? Yeah. I have two classes. The first is an intro to sourdough workshop. And it really is all those basics. Like how do you keep the starter? How do you know when things are fermented? Like when are you ready to move on to each step? Because sourdough, you know, it's such an intuitive process. You, 
you can't really follow the recipe because some days it might take six hours and some days yeah, it might take I know. ten. So it's just <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just teaching all of those skills and um and it follows a recipe start to finish. And then I do have a more advanced one that's about using enriched dough that has, you know, butter and milk, things like cinnamon rolls or hamburger buns and Yeah. Like I have like tons of recipes on my blog for sourdough and I always they all have about four and a half stars. Nothing has five. Because there's inevitably lots of people who want it to work exactly the way. And like, you said this. And I'm like, but if it's this temperature. And like you said, it's definitely an art where you have to just work with it and learn it and not so much rely on the recipe. Like, yes, the recipe is great because it gives you a guideline, but you need to know whenever you can veer from that a little bit, which just comes from experience. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, though, I love that about sourdough because especially, you know, if you've got busy life with kids or animals, sometimes you might plan that in four hours you're going to put, you know, the bread in the oven and then something comes up and you can't. And because it's such a slow process, it's like, oh, okay, just toss it yep. in the refrigerator and I'll bake it when I'm done. And so it actually is really flexible once you know how to manipulate the process. I love that. It really is. The other day I had some bread. It was an einkorn sourdough loaf in the fridge. It ended up being in the fridge for like two days. I had intended to make it the next day. And then one thing came up and another Life. thing came yeah. up. <laughs> yeah. And it was totally fine. It w- it rose even a little bit more, but yeah, you totally learn all of these things and it becomes really flexible and you, everything's edible. So I always tell people I'm like, whenever you have totally. a fail, you yeah, can make even it. if it's ugly, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't have to be pretty. You put it into a French toast or croutons or whatever. It's it, we always eat it. I have people like oh, I've thrown away. I'm like, well, don't do that. <laughs> Why would you do that? Don't throw it away. <laughs> I wasted so much. So we are going to be talking a little bit about seasonal cooking, about springtime, because that is just something that's so exciting on the horizon. I don't know where, what zone are you in as far as gardening goes? 6B. Okay. I'm pretty sure mine's the exact same. I know it's 6, but I don't know about B or A. I don't know. So yeah, you're probably in the stage where you're starting to think about seed starting. Now for our listeners, I think this is going to come out more in March because we're talking about spring cooking, but um, know that this is recorded a couple weeks behind. So when we talk about like seed starting, you're probably more, you know, you're two weeks further along at this point whenever they're hearing this. So yeah, where are you right now around mid-February? Um, mostly just dreaming. Yeah. I've sown onion seeds. I love to do um, a method called winter sowing where you spread the seeds in some kind of like closed container. For me, I have, um, you know, seedling flats that have a humidity dome, but you, you literally put the seeds in the dirt and put them outside. And then oh. the sun, you know, the day length and the temperature changes will cause the onion seeds to germinate whenever like onions would germinate in the wild. Okay. So it's so hands off. So that's the only thing I've sown so far. Um, I guess by the time this comes out in March, I will have done my peppers and probably tomatoes, even though I could wait a couple more weeks, mm-hmm. but I, I probably won't have I the won't. patience. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I always have like little tomato a time I find, not, not really, but it's, I wait way too long. I'm like, okay, my flowers are literally blooming at this point. We need to <laughs> move these out. I've definitely started things too early and then had yeah. them get a little bit spindly, but yeah, 
get a little bit eager around this time of year just for something alive, anything. Oh, totally. And the weather has started to warm up, not consistently. Yeah. Like today's actually pretty chilly, but we've had enough days near 50 that it's like, ooh, spring, maybe? Yes, I <laughs> Which know. is, no, I it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, it's totally not. But I think a lot of our weather patterns just from watching on Instagram, like people who live where you live, we get them a couple days before. So we actually are 60 degrees today. And there's several just like little breaks, you know, whenever it's February and March and you start getting those breaks where it's like, well, Thursday we'll go play outside all day long. Yes. And then Friday we might be in a little bit more, but you get those consistent breaks. So it's really nice. Well, those days are so nice too, because even though maybe I can't start the seeds, I can prep the beds and do other things to get the garden ready, you know, knowing that kind of false spring is yeah. it's pretending, but it does allow us to get outside and work on the garden. Yeah. So what did you do to prepare? Like, did you cover your beds with leaves or? Um, well, so I mentioned a little bit before this year is going to be my first year doing a commercial CSA. And so we're growing way, way more than just for our family this year. So I've tried to be kind of ahead of the game with bed prep. We used what's called permanent raised beds. And so it's the soil is mounded, but there's no wood on the sides or anything. Okay. So shaping those beds and putting compost down. And then I do have them all covered. I'm using like tarp or landscape fabric right now, just so the compost doesn't wash away or my chickens don't scratch it up Yeah, <laughs> until it's time to plant. Yeah. Perfect. So with, with seasonal cooking, um, a lot of things shift, at least for me in my house, I have sort of my winter go-to, which is stews and soups and lots of broth and meat and root vegetables. Mm -hmm. And then it slowly transitions into spring. What are some of the things that you look forward to for springtime cooking and some shifts that you might make? Oh gosh. I think just that freshness, you know, mm -hmm. that's like, oh, there's something new because for the last several months, you know, through the winter, like you're saying, we're eating a lot of storage crops, root vegetables, um, meats, you know, soups, things that mm -hmm. have been canned from the year before or frozen. Yeah. And so all of them are delicious and nutritious, but they don't have that vibrancy of, yeah. you know, fresh spring greens. And so when I think about spring and things like asparagus or um, fresh spinach or peas, like sugar snap peas, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's so exciting. Uh -huh. <laughs> it's something new and yeah, crunchy. Usually you can eat them raw, which are things that you've not really done through the winter. So yeah, I, really yep, I agree. I start to really look forward to having some of the herbs and greens. Mm -hmm. So do you eat through the seasons for the most part? Does your, cause you know, we don't have to, you can totally eat like it's spring all year round. You can eat like it's summer. You don't have to have any kind of shift. And I think before I started to go into the homestead lifestyle a little bit more, you know, as you said, you get chickens and then you branch into other parts of it and you see the cycles of things with the seasons. What motivates that seeing as you could just eat the same throughout the entire year? Yeah. There's a lot for me that motivates the idea of eating seasonally. Um, I mean, because I'm growing a lot of it, there is just the practicality of I can't eat a strawberry in, you know, December because it's not growing here. And like you said, we could go buy it, but um, I love and value local food for, you know, the environmental impact being smaller and the packaging usually being small. Like there's so many practical sustainability elements to it, but also food that's in season is so much more flavorful and nutritious. And, you know, it's picked at peak harvest. It's obvious, 
often not transported as far. So it's actually even better for our bodies. And so I find it more delicious. And it took me a long time, I think, to learn how to choose not to pick up the package of raspberries, you know, that my kids I know would love to have in their lunch right now, because I've just learned over time that like they're never going to taste that good because they're not fresh. And um, there are so many things that are available to eat. And so I don't know, I think it was just changing my mind about what we're going to have and not thinking of it as a um, an abstinence or like an inability to have it, but just choosing what's better. And then once you get in the rhythm of it, it's actually really exciting because like we were saying, you know, you've got this new thing coming up and it, it helps kind of this just holistic feel of like living in tune with the land and the animals and all of the things around us to be like, this new thing is available to us now. We're going to eat it until we're sick of it mm-hmm. and we're going to love <laughs> it. And then we'll be so excited because it'll be summer and then the tomatoes are coming, you yes, know, it's, yeah. I think it's really beautiful. Yeah, I love seasons. And I think everybody, even if they're not on a homestead, love seasons. They love to see when it's spring, you know, you get a little it's excitement that the days are getting longer and that it's a little bit warmer. But it's just that multiplied because now there's something with the food element to look forward to the new season and think about. It, it just gives you an excitement knowing that certain things, you know, now we get to indulge in this. And it's I also think there's something with our our bodies too, like needing those heartier foods in the winter, because that mm-hmm. is what you would have where you are, even if you're not living on a homestead, just homesteading really opened my eyes to it because I feel like before I just didn't think about that. Like food didn't have any seasonal aspect to it at all. Mm-hmm. It didn't occur to me that there were seasons for food and that's obvious, but once you start really paying attention to all that, it's very exciting. So what are some of your favorite recipes and things that you're excited to start cooking whenever springtime comes? We'll start having a lot of salads when spring comes, Um, you know, really whatever you can pull out of the garden or, um, you know, find at the farmer's market. I love to do big salads for lunch for myself. My kiddos even really like it. Um, And then there's some things like pastas or pizzas that I make all year long, but I change what's on it, you know, based on what's growing. My family is obsessed with pie. We eat pies, pot pies all the time. And Oh yeah. I saw your really beautiful, uh, was it a cow? Um, well, you can't call it a cow pie because (laughs) that sounds, oh yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I I just, yeah, I cut it out with a knife. It was a, you know, I just freehanded my cow silhouette with a knife as one does. Um, (laughs) well, yeah, (laughs) (laughs) of course. Yes. So, um, you know, pie fillings or making galettes. I, one of my favorite things in the spring mm, yeah. is using the last of my potatoes that I've stored, but I use dill, like fresh baby dill in the spring um, and feta and make this delicious galette with, you know, this new seasonal thing. Mm. I put peas in everything like pastas. And then, yeah, we do a weekly pizza night in our family with sourdough crust. And so then I might put asparagus on the pizza or, you know, oh, whatever. Yeah. Few things are available. Lots of fresh herbs. Yeah. Are you, do you make goat cheese at all with your goat milk? Um, not yet. My goats are still, um, they haven't, they're still too young to be bred. They'll be bred this year. Um, okay. But, okay. But actually, you know, you saying that though, dairy feels like a big seasonal spring thing for me too, because my cow, I mean, she just freshened on Sunday. We just had a calf a week ago. And so, yeah, we'll start having lots more yogurts and soft cheeses and stuff like that. And have you had 
the dairy cow before or is this your first fresh in? It's my second. Second. Okay. Oh, how exciting. We've only had one and I hope that she's bred again. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. <laughs> I hope so, so too for your sake. <laughs> we actually borrowed a bull for two months and I wow. realized why not everybody has a bull anymore <laughs> or why people don't have a bull. Yeah. Wow. That's a big. It's not my favorite experience. We just weren't bull ready. Our He pulled the uh, gates off the hinges. Apparently you can't have gates that hang on a hinge when you have a bull. That lift. Yeah. Yeah, they don't lift. You can't. You need to have a uh, stock um, water that isn't whatever ours is, rubber or whatever. Can't have that. And he even escaped one night in the middle of the night. Or actually, it was like 10 o'clock. My husband was already asleep. And I was like, hey, the bull's out. <laughs> I don't know what we're supposed to do about this. It was really an interesting experience. But anyways, yes, dairy can be very seasonal. Obviously, it, it varies homestead to homestead based on your mm -hmm. breeding schedule and all of that. But yeah, you'll be coming into the milk and you'll be having, should be very yellow because of- Milk party. Yeah. Oh gosh. That's yeah. so exciting. All yeah. Spring grass. Yeah. Even if you're, even if your freshen is at a different time, you still have the seasonal aspect of having like bright yellow butter whenever it's springtime because of all the things that they can forage. So that is exciting. Another thing on our homestead, which I'm sure is the case with yours- a lot more eggs. Yeah. So a lot of egg-based meals yes. in the spring mm -hmm. because the chickens are finally starting to lay again. Frittatas, quiche. Quiche is awesome because you think about, you know, in early spring, we've put a lot of things in the garden, but not a lot is coming out still. And so you can you yeah. can stretch that little bit of greens or, you know, whatever thing you've harvested that you don't have a ton of by putting it in a quiche. And again, that's a pie. So right. I'm for it. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Another another pie. So with your pie crusts that you are basing a lot of your meals, like the galettes and the pies, are you doing a sourdough pie crust? I don't. Um, I have a favorite pie crust recipe I love. It's on it's on Instagram, just there for anybody, but it's with lard and butter. Okay. And I love I love the flakiness it gives. I have done sourdough mm -hmm. and it's it's great, but I'm all about the classic pie crust. Yep. Yep. And lard definitely yields that fluffy, actually, or flaky. This is, mm -hmm. I actually just did that recently for the first time, believe it or not. We don't have our own pigs here, but I do have a local farm. Actually, my sister raises pastured pigs. And so I just requested all of the fat and rendered it. And yeah, that is really, really good. I was missing out with that for sure. So are you a meal planner? Are you able to work with the seasons very naturally? Or is this something that you have to put some more effort into as far as planning goes? Yeah, I am a meal planner. Less because I love the structure and more because I'm kind of terrible with time management. And I, if I'm out in the garden it, I'm not coming in till five o'clock and then all of a, a sudden I'm like panicked. Like, what are we going to mm -hmm. eat for dinner? And if I haven't thought about it, then it doesn't go well. Um, so I do like to meal plan. Um, and I think that that's gotten less rigid over time because we have a lot of food here, you know. So I might think, oh, we're going to make a pork shoulder sometime this week. And so I'll take it out to defrost and I might make it on Tuesday or I might make it on Wednesday and – you know, that's fine. What about you? Do you enjoy meal planning? I am more, like you said, I will have the things that are easy to prepare, like having a bunch of meat in the refrigerator, thawing out, and then keeping on hand just like certain staples really helps me to throw something together on a whim. 
I go I go back and forth. Sometimes I look at the week and I'm like, okay, we'll we'll think about doing this, but then inevitably it ends up changing because something comes up. And so it definitely has to be more of a flexible process, but mm-hmm. having an idea of what we want to cook is definitely helpful. And then as spring comes, you never really know what's going to be available or, you know, you kind of have to work with what you have. Well, I was going to say, especially for folks who would want to eat seasonally that don't grow, you know, if you don't have a large stocked pantry, I think meal planning can be really helpful because, yeah, just like you were saying, you're not entirely sure what's going to be available. And so to be able to have a more specific plan if you don't have the option to say, oh, I could pull green beans from the freezer or I could pull frozen, you know, kale, it's just more helpful to have a plan. Yeah. And I really, I, I like the kind of recipes like you were talking about that you can really adjust. They're really flexible. So the pizzas, the pies, the quiche, the frittatas, those are all the same base year round, but then you add in some kind of seasonal element. So it really doesn't matter if you have it or you don't, you can add it in or you cannot, which is great. Mm-hmm. What about sandwiches and sourdough? I saw that you do bagels. I also do bagels. I love sourdough bagels. Yes. (laughs) But those are another thing that are a nice base that Mm -hmm. you can really adjust with whatever you have going on. So if you're at a farmer's market and they have goat cheese and arugula, that could be something that you could come up with that week. Yeah, I think having bread as a staple just forms the foundation of so many meals. I mean, a lot of times for my kids – Seasonal eating for lunch means they get a slice of bread and then just piles of like veggies and cheese based on whatever we have. That they really like eating kind of snack plate style that way. Yeah. And so, yeah, bagels and bread and, um, you know, naan or just other ways that you can, can make sourdough or, or buy bread. It's so flexible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love the idea of having the base and then adding in whatever is available. Do you have a bread making schedule or I, I really have been wanting to do this. I'm like, okay, I'm going to start every day after lunch. I'm going to get my dough going by night. The bulk rice will be over. I'll put it in the fridge and then I'll repeat and then we'll have bread every day. And I just cannot get myself into the routine mostly because things change. So like maybe one day I have a podcast recording at 1230. And so I couldn't get to it at that time slot. So have you gotten yourself into any kind of routine with bread making? Yes. But also let me just tell you right now, my oven is broken. Oh, I think I saw that. Yeah. (laughs) That's the worst. And I feel adrift at sea because I haven't made bread in like an entire week. Um, but yeah, for the most part, I have a couple of different methods and recipes. Um, I make a sandwich bread most of the time, honestly, because I find it just as more, um, applicable to the way our family eats. Yeah. You know, my kids eat a lot of toast or sandwiches and we like, we love an artisan bowl with, with soup or something, but, um, you know, your jelly's going to dribble through the holes in an artisan yeah. bread. And yeah. so, yeah. um, we're, we're all about a sandwich loaf and I have a sandwich loaf recipe that I um, kind of have tweaked over time that I make in the evening, like right before I go to bed. Okay. And I actually make it in the KitchenAid so that it needs for about five minutes with the dough hook. And I don't have to do any stretch and fold. Okay. It doesn't it doesn't need any more tending. And so I just let it rise on the counter overnight and then I bake it in the morning. And that has been really flexible for me because as long as my starter is being maintained and is active – 
I can think on any night of the week, like, oh, we're going to need bread tomorrow. And and it takes five minutes to throw it together in the KitchenAid. So I'll like put it in the bowl, mix it and let it hydrate and autolyze like while I go brush my teeth and put my pajamas on. And then I'll come out and stand at the mixer for five minutes while it mixes and then I go to bed. So that's great. Okay. So because I've been stretching and folding all my recipes, even my rolls because of the longer process of it. Is it the stretch and folds that gives the big holes or is it the kneading versus stretching and folding that's the difference or is it more in the recipe? This is just something I've been experimenting with and I'm curious Mm -hmm. about. It's in the recipe. The size of the holes that you get is based on the hydration of the dough. And so like my... So a more hydrated... Yeah, my sandwich dough recipe... Dough will yield like the bigger holes. Yes, exactly. My sandwich recipe has 600 grams of water for 1,000 grams of flour for two loaves, where my bowl recipe that, you know, has big holes in it is 750 grams. So it's like 15% higher hydration and that's where you get your bubbles. And so are you just shaping it and then putting it into a standard bread loaf pan and then letting it out overnight and then just baking it in the morning. That sounds like a routine I could probably get more behind. I, I mix it in the KitchenAid and then it rises in the KitchenAid bowl on the counter overnight. And then in the morning I divide it in half oh. and shape it and put it in the loaf pans. And then I let it proof in the loaf pans for maybe an hour and then they bake. It's so easy. Okay. So yeah, I've been experimenting with so many things. The bread I just pulled out right before I got on the mm-hmm. call with you, or actually as we were getting on the call, is a French loaf that I've had on my blog for a while. And I did it more in the process, like you were just saying, to where no stretch and folds. I just kneaded it, shaped it, let it rise, and then put it – or no, did a bulk rise, and then shaped it, then let it rise, and then baked it. And I experimented this time with doing stretch and folds and then shaping it, putting it in the refrigerator overnight, and then scoring it this morning – And I was wondering if the oven spring, we're getting way off track, but this is just interesting to me because I've been experimenting for so long with sourdough. I've I've had my starter for 11 years and I'm still learning new things all the time. But like you said, Mm -hmm. it's always edible, so it's fine. But the oven spring, I'm thinking comes from having the oven or like the really, you know how whenever your bowl just doubles in size is from the oven being preheated. I had them in a glass container, so I transferred them to a pizza stone and it turned out a lot better as I was just looking before we got on this call. So do you find that, like, do you find you need to preheat it to get the better oven spring? I, I don't, well, I mean, I definitely preheat my oven. I do my, um, artisan loaves in a Dutch oven to trap humidity. And mm-hmm. I think that that really helps, but I don't preheat my Dutch oven. I did that for the first probably five years that I was baking bread. And I can't tell you how many times I burned the sides of my hands, like trying to lower the bread into yeah. the 500 degree pan. Um, so I don't do that oh, anymore. Right, right. And I honestly <laughs> haven't really noticed a difference. I think that the oven spring, okay. um, is it's more dependent probably on how well you've developed the gluten structure and, um, the humidity available for it to rise. When you do it on a pizza stone, do you like cover it or add humidity to the oven in any way? I did add a, a boiling cast iron mm-hmm. skillet of mm-hmm. water because of that, because I'm like, oh, I can't put these down into a Dutch oven, obviously, because they're long, um, French loaves. And my, with my other process, I have so much success with refrigerating the dough overnight. I do the same. So I'm like, I'm going to incorporate that into this recipe and then somehow recreate the steam aspect. And so that's why I put it on the stone and I added the, the water. And so my scores all opened up really pretty and it sprung. And I'm like, now I need to know which part of this process I can take <laughs> back out. <Yeah. laughs> it's, it's so interesting and I love it. And we really... 
it was great with uh, 2020. It was all of a sudden like, here I am with my sourdough information. <laughs> Everybody was finally interested. Nobody cared before then. It seemed like it was a very niche interest and kind of worked out. Yeah, I, I thought that was so funny too. But I mean, when you remember how like nobody could find yeast anywhere, but also you couldn't buy bread. Yeah. And so I think it, people realized like, oh, wait, um, the number of people who think that they don't like sourdough because, you know, when they were a kid, they tried some like deli loaf that was extremely sour. And I think people, because it got like this really crazy fad, tried it and realized like, oh, this is just bread and it can be sour or mm -hmm. it can not. And it's just delicious. It's not, it's not as, um, specific of a thing as I think people thought it was. Well, yeah, like we were talking about earlier, there's so much variation on season. Sourdough seasonal. Here we go. Very seasonal. So if you're leaving something to do a bulk rise at room temperature in the summer, because we don't keep our house as climate controlled. I mean, it's, it's definitely hotter in the summer and it's definitely colder in the winter. Now I do have the wood stove, which helps because I always put my dough is pretty close to the wood stove, but you're, you're going to get that variation in sourness based on the season, based on if you're doing a refrigerator rise. But yeah, it can taste just so it's just regular bread now is plain. It's just no flavor. Oh, yeah. Where's the flavor on this? Mm -hmm. I don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> we actually had to buy a loaf of bread this week because of the broken oven for oh. the first time. And <laughs> I was like, ugh. <laughs> What's the status? Are they going to be able to get it fixed? Do you have a gas oven or? I don't have a gas oven. Um, I really want one. And so we had a, we did a big renovation to our house in 2020. We were actually super lucky with the timing of the pandemic that we were able to do it. Um, but we waited on the kitchen because we needed to put on an addition for our numerous children. And so it was like, we're going to, the kitchen will be phase two. And at that time I can add gas and we can kind of really upgrade it. Um, so we've kind of been saving for that, but we're not at the place where we're ready to do it because when I invest in a gas oven, I really want it to, I want to have double ovens. I'd love to be able to have six burners. Okay. So no, we just replaced yeah. it with your standard home Depot, you know, well, you got to have an oven. Well, that's, that's required. just it. We have to eat. And with the um, all of the delays in shipping right now, most of the different models are backlogged for months. Oh, and yeah. So I was like – Like a custom a custom um, oven like that, you're going to be waiting probably till yeah. the end of summer yep. to get it. So this one should be here in a week. Yeah. Good. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> when we were doing our kitchen renovation, we I, I restored a 1949 oven because I just – I wanted it for – multiple reasons. I like how it looks. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted gas, but it took so long and so much longer than we expected that we had our, it was like a, when we bought this house, it was probably a eighties or nineties coil. So it was vintage, <laughs> just not the kind of vintage I wanted. We kept yeah. that plugged in for forever. I mean, we just had it sitting there plugged in in another part of the kitchen because you can't go without an oven. Especially whenever Not you big. start to right. taste sourdough. I know, but I've seen pictures of your oven and it's gorgeous. So I'm sure it was worth the wait. Yeah, I do love it. I do love it. It's, yeah, it's very, I love the oven. It doesn't, it's very old fashioned. Like I have to light it with a, a match, which is no problem once you're used to it. But yeah, got to have it. So for people who aren't living on a homestead, but want to cook like they do, which I talk about this all the time because I lived on a quarter acre for 10 years before we mm -hmm. lived here. And I've been cooking like this the entire time. 
So how would you recommend they start to incorporate more seasonal ingredients? Are there any resources you would recommend for them to try to get started with all of that? Yeah, totally. Okay. First of all, I want to say I so agree with that. I I say that to folks all the time too, because I think people are really interested in the homesteading lifestyle and they think they can't live it unless they have, you know, 10 acres and a cow. And Mm -hmm. that's just not true. Like you can be homesteading, like it's a mentality, it's a mindset, it's choices about your consumption and um, yeah, all kinds of things. And so I think that this way of eating is accessible to everybody, regardless of whether or not they would call themselves a homesteader and it would benefit them. You know, all that joy we were talking about for Mm -hmm. just like living in that cyclical way. It's so grounding. So I think a lot of that though, you know, homesteading is rooted in a sense of place. And I think that if you want to live or eat that way, even if you're in a 14th floor apartment, um, it still has to be grounded in locality. And so, Um, Like we were saying, you can get a strawberry any time of the year if you go into the grocery store, but um, where you shop, I think, and how you shop is the biggest way to like incorporate seasonal ingredients into your cooking. And so farmer's market is an awesome place to start Um, or like roadside farm stands, CSA, um, which I mentioned we're doing before. And if people haven't heard of that, it stands for Community Supported Agriculture. And it's basically just this contractual agreement between a customer and the farm where you pay for a subscription of whatever they grow. And so like there were years when we lived in town, I had a small garden. And so I did a fruit CSA even that was like a collaboration of a couple different orchardists in the area. And every week I would get a box of seasonal fruit. That was so fun. But you get a box of veggies every week that's based on what's growing and you know what they harvested literally the day before it ended up in your kitchen. So I think if you can shop... Um, at places like that, then you're going to have the ingredients available to you to cook more seasonally. Yeah. But like we were talking about before, it becomes more intuitive as you know, like, okay, it's March. I know these things are popping out of the ground right now, but um, I have a, a collection of cookbooks that I really love that are all actually based around the seasons, like the Ooh, chapters okay. – are seasonal. I brought four of yeah. them because that's perfect. What I found. Yeah, that's that's um, wonderful. So two of them are by Andrea Bemis. One of them is dishing up the dirt, and one of them is okay. local dirt. Um, she's a farmer in the Pacific Northwest, and okay. she did this really cool project. I want to say in like maybe 2019, called the Local 30, where for 30 days she only ate food that was grown within 30 miles of Ooh, her home. It was really I cool. Like that. Yeah, I like yeah. that idea. And then Feeding a Family by Sarah Waldman. Okay. And then Smoke Roots Mountain Harvest by Lauren McDuffie. But all of them, the chapters are organized by season. And so I think that's a great place to start if you're unsure how to cook seasonally is to find resources that specifically tell you, here's a dish. (laughs) Here's a dish that you can make with things that are in the spring. So I love all of those. They make delicious, like wholesome, nourishing meals that um, are fresh and seasonally appropriate that flow with the seasons yeah yeah and like you said it's a learned thing so once you start to get comfortable with what goes on with each seasons it might not it'll be a lot easier to just cook seasonally without having to dig in and do the research and all of that but at first you need those kind of resources I think a lot of farmers too want 
you know, they want you to love the things you buy from them. So if you're shopping at the farmer's market, you can, and you see, you know, this pile of, I don't know, a cabbage you've never seen before, ask them, like, how would you cook this? What do you do with this? And they totally will give you ideas and examples. I send out a weekly newsletter for my CSA customers that has like different uh, recipe ideas and storage options, how you could preserve this veggie if you wanted to. Um, yeah, because local growers, they want you to love what you're getting so that you come back. Yeah. So Yeah. You want to, if they keep getting a box of stuff they don't use, they're going to stop getting the CSA box. So mm-hmm. it's in at both parties' interest to make sure that they know how to use it. Now, as a CSA, are there places that you are listing your CSA? Like, are there online resources where people all across the country can find a local CSA? That's a good question. There are a couple of CSA index. Yeah, there are a couple of different um, software platforms that farmers can use to run their CSA. And one of them you might have heard is called Harvey. And so I know that you can go to the Harvey website. I think it's H A R V I E. And it will tell you Harvey Farms in that area. But I think if you okay. you really could Google um, farmer, you know, farmer's CSA market near me, CSA near yeah. me. Yeah. Um, a lot of your local farmer's markets are going to have a website that has a listing of all of the different farmers in your area. Yeah. And I love the idea of whenever it's getting towards the end of the season – buying them out and then, you know, making, preserving it all like you live on a farm. I have to also point out the fact that I do these things still. Like, Mm -hmm. yes, I live on a little seven acres and we have chickens and we have a dairy cow. I have to find somebody for my chicken, my beef, my pork. I do. I have people Mm -hmm. for all of that locally. So I get all of that. And then even still, there's a lot that I need to brush up on. Like I don't, all through the winter, I do buy things that go with winter so that at least in my hope they're grown a little bit closer, but I'm still buying my potatoes just from Walmart or Aldi. I'm still getting same with like my carrots. Yes, I cook very with how the season should be, but it's, this is all stuff that like you're reminding me, I need to go look up a CSA because even though I didn't do well in my garden enough to provide my potatoes throughout the whole year. And honestly, with seven kids, I won't again next year as much as I want to. I just know I won't. But getting better about that myself, it's a reminder because I do have all like the base of my food, like with the meats and the milk and the eggs. But there's so much more that I could do. Oh, totally. I, that's true for me too. We did, we actually did a CSA through the winter from a local farm because, um, you know, being in this transition period with trying to grow our farm to this commercial size, I was like, I know I can't be adding all this infrastructure and also tending a winter garden. And so we were CSA customers all winter long. And same with like, we have a little baby orchard that we planted when we first moved in. But I mean, my apple tree gave me one apple last year. Yeah, we're on three, we're on seven acres and we've only been here three years. So yes, we planted apple trees, Mm -hmm. but we don't have, we don't have apples. And I don't usually buy apples beyond the fall, but Mm-hmm. being able to find these local people. This is something that I need to get better about. Like after this call, I'm totally going to find a CSA. Like why have I not done that? Yeah. And and you can do like you were talking about with preserving. Like I found an orchard. It's about an hour away that will sell their seconds apples. You know, they're kind of dented, scratch and yeah. dent apples. And I'll buy four cases of them and then I'll can applesauce that my kids will eat all year long. And I totally think that's easy, eating seasonally because those apples were grown and picked at peak ripeness and they traveled just, you know, a handful of miles to get to my 
closet. My my daughter calls it the harvest closet where we keep all the of our canned closet. goods. Yeah. yeah, I love that. Um, and so, yeah, but you could, you, I mean, the part, the difficult thing about this is if you don't have food storage, you know, that really is, that's a hang up for a lot of people. You could buy a case of apples and you could keep it in a refrigerator in your garage and eat apples all year long. Cause that's what the grocery store is doing. You know, the right. onions that you buy today or the potatoes you buy today, they've been in storage just in a warehouse somewhere. And yeah. so you could buy them locally and store them at if you have that option, but not everybody does. Yeah. So what would you recommend? Just like a corner in the basement or I guess a lot of people's basements are finished and more climate controlled. Um, what do you guys do in your home? We actually don't have a basement because of the mountains, unfortunately. Really, okay. there's people don't have basements here, which is a bummer because I would oh. love a root cellar. But when I tell you that every square inch of this house is is secret food storage, <laughs> I mean it. Like we have um, plastic bins like you know the really thin under the bed slidey bins underneath our bed our guest bed where um I'll do like dry beans or just store dry think dehydrated stuff that's been vacuum sealed okay. um we have a closet for canned goods my guest room stays chilly and so that closet has crates of potatoes and squash oh. in the closet. <laughs> um, I mean, really, yeah. your guests come; they're gonna squirreled <laughs> away everywhere. I mean, yeah. really, yes. Um, so it's kind of wherever we can find space. I really want to build like a fantastic cupboard situation that we could put all of our canned goods in at some point, but it takes over. Because, but if you don't have it, right, you can put it anywhere. Yeah. You put it under your bed. Um, you know, a, a refrigerator <laughs> or a deep freezer in your garage will, it will go far. We have, um, mm -hmm. I mentioned yeah. we raise pastured pork. And so we actually have like five or six freezers because we have our own family's yeah. food our chicken that we raise for our family too, but then also the stuff we sell. And so there is a seven cubic foot um, freezer in my master master bedroom closet. There's one in the living room <laughs> closet. <laughs> You're taking away all of our excuses right now. <laughs> I mean, it's absurd. It's really quite funny. You know, if it's time to cook dinner, they're like, oh, can you run in the closet and grab a pack of Which bacon? Which bedroom yeah. is it in? <laughs> That's hilarious. I mean, we have a deep freeze because you pretty much have to have one if you're going to be buying meat in bulk. So we, we buy, you know, half a half a hog. Actually, last time we bought a whole. And then my dad and my husband do some hunting. And yeah, so you need you do need some some stuff like that, especially if you're going to go do meat. But if you're just looking to can and store away root vegetables, it sounds like you can pretty much use any location in your yeah, your house. Just got to so. get creative. <laughs> yeah. If you really want it bad enough, mm -hmm. you'll find a place. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I feel like we covered a lot more than even just spring cooking, which is wonderful. Tell us where we can find you and all that you have to offer. I think Instagram's your, is that your hub or is your website your hub? Instagram's my hub. You can find me there at the Cedar Chest Farm. I do have a website, um, mostly just for like sales of sourdough class tickets or, um, you know, local farm things. Um, but yeah, definitely you can find me on Instagram and that's kind of the main spot. Yeah. We will leave that in the show notes as well as all the resources you mentioned, including the books. And thanks again so much. I feel like we 
really got some good information. Oh, thanks for having me. It was super fun. And I'm, yeah, I'm really excited to see, to keep following you and see what kind of spring things you're making too as your garden picks up. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. All right, well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast. I hope that you learned something that you could bring into your own kitchen this spring, maybe some new ways to find ingredients, even if you don't live in a homestead. I really hope that we inspired you there. As always, thank you so much for listening, and I will see you in the next episode of the Simple Farmhouse Life Podcast. Mm-hmm.